Chapter 15 of Murder in the Gunroom. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Murder in the Gunroom by H. Beam Piper. Chapter 15. Parking in the drive, Rand entered the Fleming house by the front door. The butler must have been busy with his pre-dinner tasks in the rear. It was Gladys herself who admitted him. Stay out of there, she warned him, taking his arms and guiding him away from the parlor doorway. Nelda and Geraldine are in there, ignoring each other. If you go in, they'll start talking to you, and then they'll start talking at each other through you, and the air will be full of tomahawks in a jiffy. Let's go up in the gunroom. That's out of the battle zone. What started the hostilities this time? Rand asked, going up the stairway with her. Oh, Geraldine lost Nelda's place marker out of the Kinsey report or something, she shrugged. Mainly reaction to Rivers' death. That was a great blow to all of us. Twenty-five thousand dollars worth of a blow. It was a blow to me, too, but I'm not letting it throw me. What were you doing all afternoon? Trying to keep the rest of our prospects out of jail. This sixteenth-witted district attorney you have in this county had the idea he could charge Stephen Gresham with the killing. I had a time talking him out of it, and I'm still not sure how far I succeeded. And I was trying to get a line on where those pistols got to. Shh! They reached the top of the stairs, and Rand saw Walters approaching down the hall. It was Colonel Rand, Walters. I let him in myself. Are Mr. Varsick and Mr. Dunmore here yet? Mr. Dunmore is in the library, ma'am, and Mr. Varsick is upstairs in his laboratory. Dinner will be ready in three-quarters of an hour. Have you mixed the cocktails? You'd better do that. Serve them in about twenty minutes. And you'd better go up and warn Mr. Varsick not to become involved in anything messy before dinner. Walters yes-mammed her and started toward the attic stairway. Rand and Gladys went into the gunroom. Rand turned to the left, picked a pistol from the wall, and carried it with him as he guided Gladys towards the desk in the corner. You think Walter stole them? she asked. So far, I'm inclined to. Have you told any of the others yet? Oh, Lord, no. They'd all be sure that I stole them myself. I'm counting on you to get them back with as little fuss as possible. Do you think that was why Rivers was killed? After all, when a lot of valuable pistols disappear and a crooked dealer is murdered, I'd expect there to be a connection. There could be. Did you ever hear any stories about Mrs. Rivers and this young fellow Gillis who works in Rivers' shop? Gladys laughed. Is that rearing its ugly head in public now? she asked. Well, there's nothing like a good murder to shake the skeletons out of the closets. Not that this particular skeleton was ever exactly hidden. The stories are numerous and somewhat repetitious. Cecil and Mrs. Rivers would be seen together at road houses and so on at what they imagined was a safe distance from Rosemont. And it was said that when Rivers was away overnight, Cecil was never seen to leave the Rivers' place in the evenings. Might this be relevant to Rivers' sudden demise? It could be. Rand was keeping an eye on the hall door and the other on the head of the spiral stairway. Don't mention outside what I told you about Farnsworth having this brainstorm about Stephen Gresham. If it got out, it might hurt Gresham professionally. 
The fact is, Gresham has just retained me to investigate the river's murder for him. That won't interfere to any great extent with the work I'm doing here. If necessary, I'll bring a couple of my men in from New Belfast to help me on the river's operation. He broke off abruptly, catching a movement at the head of the spiral, and lifted the pistol in his hand, as though showing it to Gladys. See, he went on, it has two hammers and two nipples, but only one barrel. It was loaded with two charges, one on top of the other. The bullet of the rear charge acted as the breech plug for the front charge. Oh, Walters! He affected to catch sight of the butler for the first time. Bring me that thirty-six Walk revolver, will you? Yes, sir. Walters, crossing the room, veered to the right and went to the middle wall, bringing a revolver over to the desk. It was a percussion weapon with an abnormally long cylinder. The cocktails are served, he announced. We'll be down in a moment. You can put these back where they belong when you find time, Rand told him. Now here, he said to Gladys, this is the same idea in a revolver. Six chambers, two charges in each. In theory, it was a good idea, but in actual practice... Walters went out the hall door, presumably to call Varsic. Rand continued talking about the superposed load principle, as used in the Lindsay pistol and the Wallach revolver, until he was sure the butler was out of hearing. Gladys was looking at him in appreciative, if slightly punch-drunk, delight. I wondered why you brought that thing over here with you, she said. Brother, was that a quick shift? You're really sure he's the one? I'm not really sure of anything except of my own existence and eventual extinction, Rand told her. It pretty nearly has to be somebody inside this house. I don't think anybody else here, yourself included, would know enough about arms to rob this collection, as selectively as it has been robbed. Did you see what just happened here? I asked him for one of the most uncommon arms here, and he went straight and got it. He knows this collection as well as your husband did, and I assume he knows values almost as well. And, of course, there was a musket, too. Mr. Fleming didn't collect long arms, or he'd have had one. It embodied the same principle as the pistol. The legend is that this man Lindsay's brother was a soldier, he was supposed to have been killed by Indians who drew the fire of the detail he was with and then charged them when their muskets were empty. Rand shrugged. Actually, this superposed load principle is ancient. There's a 16th century wheel-lock pistol in the Metropolitan Museum in New York, firing two shots from the same barrel. Varsic and the butler, who had entered by the hall door, went across the gunroom and down the spiral. Rand laid down the pistol and escorted Gladys after them. Dunmore and Geraldine were in the library when they went down. Geraldine, mildly potted, was reclining in a chair, sipping her drink. Dunmore was still radiating his synthetic cheerfulness. "'Get many of the pistols listed, Colonel?' he hailed Rand, with jovial condescension. "'No.' Rand poured two cocktails, handing one to Gladys. I went to Arnold Rivers' place this morning, on a little unfinished business, and damn near tripped over Rivers' corpse. I spent the rest of the day getting myself disinvolved from the ensuing uproar, he told Dunmore. You heard about it, of course. Yes, of course. Horrible business. I hope you didn't get mixed up in it any more than you had to, 
After all, you're working for us, and if the police knew that, we'd be bothered too. Look here, you don't think some of these other people who are after the collection might have killed Rivers to keep him from outbidding them? Nelda, entering from the hallway, caught the last part of that. Good God, Fred, she shrieked at him. Don't say things like that. Maybe they did, but wait till they've bought the collection and paid for it before you start accusing them. I'm not accusing anybody, Dunmore growled back at her. I don't know enough about it to make any accusations. All I'm saying is... Well, don't say it, then. If you don't know what you're talking about, his wife retorted. In spite of this start, dinner passed in relative quiet. For the most part, they talked about the remaining chances of selling the collection, about which nobody was optimistic. Rand tried to build up morale with pictures of large museums and important dealers, all fairly slavering to get their fangs into the Fleming collection, but to little avail. A pall of gloom had settled, and he was forced to concede that he had at last found somebody who had a valid reason to mourn the sudden and violent end of Arnold Rivers. Dinner finished, he went up to the gunroom and began compiling his list. He found a yardstick and thumbtacked it to the edge of the desk to get overall and barrel lengths, and used a pair of inside calipers and a decimal inch rule from the workbench to get calibers. Sticking a sheet of paper into the portable, he began on the wheel locks, leaving spaces to insert the description of the stolen pistols when recovered. When he had finished the wheel locks, he began on the snop houses, then did the migulate locks. He had begun on the true flint locks when Walters, who had finished his own dinner, came up to help him. Rand put the butler to work, fetching pistols from the racks and replacing those he had already listed. After a while, Dunmore strolled in. You say you found Rivers' body yourself, Colonel Rand? he asked. Rand nodded, finished what he was typing, and looked up. Why, yes. There were a few details I wanted to clear up with him, and I called at his shop this morning. I found him lying dead inside. He went on to describe the manner in which Rivers had met his death. The radio and newspaper accounts were accurate enough in the main. There were a few details omitted at the request of the police, of course. Well, you didn't get involved in it, though, Dunmore inquired anxiously. I mean, you're not taking any part in the investigation. After all, we don't want to be mixed up in anything like this. In that case, Mr. Dunmore, let me advise you not to discuss the matter of Rivers' offer to buy this collection with anybody outside, Rand told him. So far, the police and the district attorney's office both seem to think that Rivers was killed by somebody whom he'd swindled in a business deal. Of course, they know about the collection being for sale and Rivers offering to buy it. They do? Dunmore asked sharply. Did you tell them that? Naturally. I had to account for my presence at Rivers' shop this morning, Rand replied. I don't know if the idea has occurred to them that somebody might have killed Rivers to eliminate a rival bidder for this collection or not. I wouldn't say anything, if I were you, that might give them the idea. The extension phone rang shrilly. Walters picked it up, spoke into it, and listened for a moment. Yes, Miss Lawrence, he's right here. You wish to speak to him? He handed the phone across the desk to Rand. Miss Karen Lawrence for you, Colonel Rand. Rand took the phone. Before he had time to say hello, the antique shop girl demanded of him, Colonel Rand, you must tell me the truth. Did you have anything to do... With Pierre Jarret's being arrested? 
What? Rand barked. Then he softened his voice. No, on my honor, Miss Lawrence. I knew nothing about it until this moment. Who did it? Olson? I don't know what his name was. He was a state police sergeant, she replied. He and another state policeman came to the Jarret house about half an hour ago, charged Pierre with the murder of Arnold Rivers, and took him away. His mother phoned me about it a few minutes ago. That goddamn two-faced Jesuitical bastard, Rand exploded. Where are you now? Here, at my shop. Mrs. Jarret is coming here. She's afraid the reporters will be coming out to the house as soon as they hear about it, and she doesn't want to talk to them. All right, I'll be there as soon as I can. If there's anything I can do to help you, you can count on me for it. He hung up and turned to Walters. Is my car still out front, he asked. It is? Good, I'll be gone for a while. Tell the others I have something to attend to. What's happened now? Dunmore asked sourly. Just what I was speaking about. The Gestapo gathered up Pierre Jarret. They seem to have gotten the idea now that the motive may have been competition for the collection. Next thing, Farnsworth will think he has a case against Carl Gwinnett, and he'll land in the jug too. I hope you realize that every time something like this happens, it peels a thousand or so off the price I'll be able to get for you people for these pistols. Dunmore didn't try to ask how that would happen, for which Rand was duly thankful. He accepted the statement uncritically. Walters was staring at Rand in horror, saying nothing. Rand picked up the outside phone and dialed the same number he had called from the Rivers place that morning. Is Sergeant McKenna about? He is? Fine. I'd like to speak to him. Oh, hello, Mick. Jeff Rand. McKenna chuckled out of the receiver. Sort of slipped one over on you, didn't I? He gloated. Why, I was checking up on those people who were at the Greshams last evening, and they all agreed that young Jarret and this Lawrence girl had left the party about ten. So I had a talk with Miss Lawrence, and she tried to tell me that Jarret was with her at her apartment over the antique shop from about 10.15 until about 12, when another girl she rooms with got home from a date. I'd have took that, too, only right across the street from the antique shop there's one of those old hens like you find in every neighborhood, the kind that keeps their nose flattened on the window between the curtains, checking up on the neighbors. I spotted her when I came out of the antique shop, so I slipped around to see her, and she told me that young Jarret went into the apartment with the girl at about quarter past ten. Stayed inside for about twenty minutes, then came out and drove away. She says Jarret came back in about half an hour and stayed till this girl who shares the Lawrence girl's apartment, a Miss Dupont, who teaches sixth grade at Thaddeus Stevens School, got home about twelve. So there you are. Uh-huh. Dave Ritter said this was going to turn into another Hall Mills case. Well, now you have your pig woman, Rand said. Miss Lawrence shouldn't have lied to you, Mick. I suppose she got worried when you started asking questions, and there's nothing like a good murder in the neighborhood to make liars out of people. And damn well I know that, McKenna agreed. But that isn't all. It seems our cruise car crew spotted Jarret's car standing in Rivers Drive, about eleven, just when he was away from the antique shop, and about when the M.E. figures Rivers was getting the business. Did they get the number? Rand asked. Or how did they identify the car? Oh, they knew it. 
See, our boys shoot a lot with the Scott County Rifle and Pistol Club, and they've all seen Jarret's car at the range different times, McKenna said. A gray 1947 Plymouth Coupe. Like I say, they knew the car, and they knew Jarret collects guns, and the lights were on inside the shop, and the shades were drawn, so they didn't think anything of it at the time. See, they went to bed about ten this morning and didn't get up till after five, so I didn't find out about it till after supper. Rand shrugged and managed to get some of the shrug into his voice. Can be it then, he said. I hope you're not making a mistake, Mick. If you are, his lawyer is going to crucify you. What are you using for motive? Rivers was outbidding this crowd Jarret and this girl were in with. They all told me about that, McKenna said. And he and the girl were planning to use their end of the collection to go into the arms business after they got married. Rivers got in the way. McKenna, at the other end of the line, must have shrugged too. After all, for about four years they'd been training Jarret to overcome resistance with the bayonet. So he did just that. Maybe so. You find out anything about that other matter I was interested in? You mean the pistols? Uh-uh. We went over Rivers' place with a fine-tooth comb and questioned young Gillis about it, and we didn't get a thing. You sure those pistols went to Rivers? I'm not sure of anything at all, Rand replied, looking at his watch. You going to be in, say, in a couple of hours? I want to have a talk with you. Sure, I'll be around all evening, McKenna assured him. If we don't have another murder... Rand hung up. He pulled the sheet out of the typewriter, laid it face down on the other sheets he had finished, and laid a long 17th century Flemish flintlock on top for a paperweight, memorizing the position of the pistol relative to the paper under it. Put those pistols back on the wall, he told Walters, indicating several he had laid aside after listing. Leave the others there. I'm not finished with them yet. I'll be back before too long, if I don't find any more bodies. End of chapter 15